Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. This is Apologetics Live. To answer your questions, your host from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport. Okay, and we are live, and I am uh, Andrew Rappaport's better-looking twin. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're ha- we're live tonight. We're having a, a a good discussion with Brother Justin Peters, and we're, we've been enjoying ourselves. I hope you guys are having a wonderful evening. Um, so far, we have a few people on on uh, online with us, and we want to say hello to uh, Can- Can- Canada, Canada Carlos, and KT and Jesus, uh, Laura Anderson. I want to say hello to everybody. Uh, thank you for showing up tonight. I hope you enjoy what we have uh, to present to you. Uh, Brother Justin Peters is going to be in in just a minute. Um, but before we get started with that, uh, just want to just want like I said, welcome everybody, and I want to invite you guys to 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 ask questions, put questions on the sides, whatnot. After Brother Justin gets done, we may do some more uh, Q and A type stuff. If we have time, we may not. We're gonna we're gonna go until we get tired of going. So we're gonna see how that goes. Uh, I want to ask you guys if if you are enjoying what we're doing, the the, the work we're doing to uh, get a good, solid teaching and, and apologetic uh, uh, discernment out to you, that you would give us a review. Um, go to uh, lovethepodcast.com backslash apologetics live and give us a good review. Um, make sure it's a good review, though. Don't give us a bad one. <laughs> Uh, subscribe on YouTube. We'd love to have you subscribe on YouTube.com uh, uh, backslash C backslash striving for eternity. Um, surely we got to do better than that on that one. I, I think we still have a couple of spots left for the, for the Israel uh, tour um, with, with brother Justin and uh, brother Andrew and um, myself, a bunch of others. Anthony Silvestro is going to be there. We're going to have a, a, a wonderful Two weeks in Israel. I know you guys have been hearing about all the stuff going on with Israel this week. Um, the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Israel, and uh, we need to be doing that. But I also want to encourage you guys to expect these uh, times and expect these things to go on in, uh, in in the body of Christ in the world today as the times get worse and worse. You should expect to see the... Uh, the, the things that are going on in this day and age. I see we have a, a special 
special guest in the background. And uh, I think his name is Andrew Rappaport, but I say uh, I'm not sure about that. And maybe he's maybe he's jumped back off real quick. Um, he's at, he's out on vacation. So so uh, uh, we just have hope, hope they're having a, a really good time. Want to ask you to contact us uh, if you have any questions or comments. Want to talk to us about anything? If you have uh, any anything that you need uh, from us, or uh, if you want to set up to have us come out and and do one of our uh, apologetics uh, conferences at your church or in your community, uh, contact us at info at strivingforeternity.org. And while we're talking about it, um, I want you to go to justinpeters.org. And help my dear brother. Uh, I'm gonna pull him up. Hey, brother. Uh, there he is. This is Justin Peters. Hey, Justin. Um, How's it going? Um, I want to. I, I mean, he's not gonna say it, but I'm gonna say it. Uh, Justin is a dear brother, a dear friend, and um, and he is a a great friend to the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you that if you can uh, go to justinpeters.org. Uh, Listen to the material he has. You can go on YouTube. Am I right, Justin? You can go on YouTube and get uh, a lot of the teachings. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But one thing that one thing that has for me been a blessing is to find out. I, I hate to say it this way: to find out where all the wolves and false teachers are hiding within the body of Christ. Um. I didn't know there were so many until I started studying, you know, just looking at discernment and looking at what the body of Christ needs to know about those hirelings. You know, Jesus talks about the hirelings. So uh, you do a great job with that, brother. And I, I really, really appreciate your ministry and your work. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it, brother. I, I really do. And uh, yeah, I tell people often that I wish my seminar was not necessary. Clouds without water. I've, I would love for there to be no need to warn about false teachers. Um, but the Bible is full of warnings about them. 26 of the 27 books in the new Testament do. So um, it's a reality, but um, I wish it wasn't necessary, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I agree with you. We want to, we want to be discerning about our, our discernment. Um, you said in the conference that, if we're not careful and we can become you know, so filled with the, the discernment ministry that we look at everything as an enemy and everyone is an enemy, but we also want to make sure that, that when we do spot those wolves and enemies that we can call them out and warn people against them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, you know, sometimes people will accuse me, oh, all you do is criticize other people, criticize other Christian ministers. Well, <laughs> uh, I would highly debate the point that they're Christian. Uh, false teachers, by definition, are, are not Christian. But um, Paul tells us in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Um, yeah. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And, and I try to do both in my ministry. A lot of people think that they say, Oh, all you ever do is criticize other ministers, but you go to my YouTube channel. In fact, I counted it up the other day. I think only 20% of the videos that I have on my YouTube channel deal with false teachers. So 80% of them actually don't, but uh, I don't know. People see what they want to see. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, you know, and you, you get labeled, you know, however how good or bad, you get labeled for for uh, the, the work you do. And, you know, like I said, if, even if it's good or bad, in the sight of, of other either Christians or nominal Christians or false converts, I'll have to say this, we give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that that our ministries, whatever it may be, our ministries are to exalt Christ and lift up his name and for the edification of the body of Christ. Yeah, uh, that's so, right. So I, I think that's that's one reason I was asking you uh, if we could actually go through this discussion on the truth matters and talk about this, because um, in my community, in our community, we have radio stations. I, and I told you earlier, we have radio stations that are um, steeped in Bethel and Hillsong and elevation worship music. They are, you know, just, it just run rampant. And some people would tell me it's no big deal. You know, yeah. it, it, it reminds me of the, the, the yoga is no big deal crowd where that, where they say we can do this and it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, maybe you want to weigh in on those things too, but um, yeah. I, I just see it everywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, it, yeah. Pragmatism, right? Pragmatism's the rule of the day. Um, yeah. yeah. Christian yoga. That's a contradiction in terms or they're, they're mutually exclusive worldviews. There's no such thing as Christian yoga. Uh, kind of like Christian science. There's Christian science is not Christian. It's not scientific. You can't, um, you know, Mary Baker Eddy was off the deep end and Christian yoga is the same way. You're, you're bringing in mysticism, Eastern mysticism and trying yeah. to cloak it in some Christian lingo, some Christian terminology, Christianese, uh, dress it up as Christian, but you're just, you know, you know, you, putting lipstick on a pig. That's, that's um, still a pig, you know, Christian yoga. It's, it's, it's Eastern mysticism with a little bit of Christian lipstick on it, if you will, but it's, there's a pig underneath that lipstick. So you can't mix those two. Well, I wish you'd say how you mean. (laughs) What's that? I said, I wish you'd say it like you mean it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I know. I, I should probably quit beating around the bush. By the way, I commend you on your new, uh, your new digs there. It looks like you're out of your cell. <laughs> yeah. For now, for now, I'm, I'm uh, about to start working on, on the uh, shelving. So, so we, you know, I, I got moved over to the good side. So, okay. It looks nice. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, we've had this up for a while. It's been, uh, it's been a long oh, time okay. going. So, but I've been a while since I've been in. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a work in progress. You know how it goes. Uh, okay. And that never ends. Well, if you if you want to, uh, we can get started. I I, uh, I pulled up the PowerPoint, like I said, and um, if you would like to, we can get started and, and kind of talk about these things. Um, let me pull off the uh, the banner here so it doesn't get in the way. Um, let's see. I think we'll be okay with the rest of it, like it is. Um, so. I'll just let you go ahead and get started, brother, and we'll we'll go there from there. Um, this is this is your your presentation, so I'm I'll you know may throw in every once in a while if you're okay with that. So. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, and uh, you've got the controls there, so I can't really. Uh, That's fine. Progress I'll, I'll, through I'll, the slide, so. You just you just tell me when to move, and I'll move. So. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, so. 
Yes, yeah, so this is the presentation that I did at Truth Matters Conference a couple of years ago, 2019, and uh, basically talked about how how to know the voice of God. And, and evangelicalism is just absolutely saturated with the belief that God still speaks to us today like he did to the saints of the Bible, like he did to the Old Testament folks and New Testament folks and uh, the prophets. And he still still speaks to us today in the same way, um, that we should be hearing God in a still small voice. And you hear people say all the time, oh, well, well, God spoke to me and said such and such. God told me this. God told me that. God told me our church needs to go this direction. And so it is so woven into the warp and woof of evangelicalism so, I mean, almost universally accepted. I mean, it's it's rarely ever challenged. Um, and, and people begin to think that this is just part of the normative Christian life, that you should be hearing God speak to you. And so one of two things happens. You either begin to fabricate in your own mind, think you hear, you think you're hearing God when you're really not, uh, and so you kind of manufacture God's voice, if you will. You manufacture it on your own inside your head. And yeah. you think that that is God speaking to you or you realize, you know, I'm really not hearing any voices. Um, I, I don't hear anything. And so there must be something wrong with me. All these other people claim to hear God speak to them so clearly. They can even quote him exactly what he says. And hot, but I don't hear God talked to me like that. So there must be something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my walk with the Lord. There's something, you know, maybe I'm not even saved. And so uh, it is, I would say it's one of the, one of the more dangerous teachings out there today in the evangelical world. And so that's what this presentation deals with, you know, how to hear the voice of God. We look at some of the arguments um, that people make, some of the verses they use to support it and dismantle it. Good. Yeah. Um, one thing you have in here is you have the defining your terms, which I think is very useful. Um, I, I think that's, you know, when you're talking about that, you know, when we're talking about hearing from the voice of God, um, I, I mean, I hear, hear people say it all the time. You know, God spoke to me and he told me or he said this, brother. Um, I think this is something that's very powerful that we need to dispel. You know, how does God speak to us? You know, how does God speak to us today? Is it is it through a still small voice or is it through you um, um, like you were talking about um, Rick Warren? All these other guys are saying, you know, you, you hear Jesus speak to you, hear God speaking to you. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think I see. So yeah, you've got the slides there. So uh, yes, a couple of terms here. You can go ahead and put those up. Yes, sir. And I can't, I can't, I can't see my presentation. I don't know what slide. I have a general uh, idea what slide's next, but not exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got revelation, illumination. So revelation refers to God revealing new information that, up until the point of the revelation, has been previously hidden. So God revealing something new, and uh, you hear people say all the time, "Oh, well, I got revelation on this. God gave me revelation." Well, no, he didn't, because God is not revealing anything new today. That he's revealing nothing new that is not already recorded in Scripture. So revelation is not happening. But what might be happening um, is illumination. 
And that refers to the enabling work of the Holy Spirit in the in our lives as believers to understand and appropriate, in other words, to obey the truths that are already recorded in Scripture. And all of us as believers, we can give testimony to various times in our lives we've been reading the Bible. Maybe it's a verse that we've read many, many times before. We've heard it read. We've read it ourselves. But then all of a sudden it clicks, right? The the proverbial light bulb, you know, appears over our heads like, oh, that's what that means. That's that. Now I get it. That's that's illumination. And and that should be happening in our lives as believers. So uh, illumination. Yes. Revelation. No. Yeah. Well, the. The next slide you had here is on pietism, talking about the the three the three luminaries of the uh, Phillips uh, Spiner, August. <laughs> Frank, I think. Yeah, I can't pronounce the name. <laughs> yeah, Frank and Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. So, yeah, this is a pietism. This is kind of where the whole notion of God speaking outside of Scripture began. And this is an oversimplification, but, but pietism was a reaction to what was perceived, at least, to be a, a overly intellectualized response uh, coming out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, it's like uh, some people believe that, that that pendulum swung a little bit too far and their theology got kind of cold and heady. And so pietism was a try, uh, an effort to kind of correct that pendulum swing some. And uh, slowly but surely, and, and these men, Spinner, Frank, and Zinzendorf, uh, are in chronological order here. So Spinner's error, he began to deviate just a little bit from the sufficiency of Scripture, nothing heretical or anything. But uh, August Franck did a little more. He went further than Spinner did, and he kind of developed a, a theology of of that's much more heavily relied on emotions and feelings. And then when you get to Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, he created something called a, the a theology of the heart. And he emphasized uh, on, in many respects, feelings and emotions and experiences above that of the authority of scripture. And so error, excuse me, error always begets more error. You know, error starts small, but left unchecked, it, it snowballs. And that's what, that's what you had there with pietism. It, it snowballed. And, and that was kind of the genesis of the whole theology of God speaking outside of scripture. And of course, today it's, I mean, it's full blown. You, you know, the word of faith movements, charismatic movement, that's, that's the defining uh, distinctive of that entire movement that God speaks outside of scripture. And, and even many, <laughs> The vast majority of non-charismatic evangelical Southern Baptists, you know, at least theoretically on paper, Southern Baptists are not charismatic, but they have adopted a charismatic theology when it comes to the sufficiency of Scripture. They, in other words, they reject it. And what you're seeing today in the Southern Baptist denomination is a, is a denomination that has at least theoretically affirmed inerrancy, but it said nothing about sufficiency. Yeah. Uh, and still hasn't. <laughs> In fact, they're going the opposite direction. They're going the wrong direction on sufficiency of Scripture. But um, almost all Southern Baptists believe, yeah, God speaks to us in still small voices and hunches and impressions and that kind of thing. Well, that's that's uh, that can be traced back to pietism. 
And uh, it's just a, a bit softer version of what you would see with Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland. It's the same basic error. It's just packaged differently and not, not quite as extreme, but it's a still, it's the same basic problem. Would you say that, that it can be, da- it, it is dangerous or it could be dangerous to, to rely upon uh, the impressions of your heart and try to compare that to God speaking to you? Would you say that it is um, heretical or is it just a bad thing to do? It's a bad thing to do that could lead you to heresy. Um, I mean, what, what Jeremiah says about the heart deceitfully wicked above all things, you know, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things who can know it. Um, I wouldn't be relying real heavily on my heart. <laughs> so no, um, no, we can, we can't, we can't base our theology off of our feelings and emotions. Um, yeah. no. So it's yeah. And, and left unchecked. Absolutely. It can lead you straight into heresy. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would agree with that completely. The, um, you have the next thing you have here on divine revelation, knowledge, um, Essex W. Kenyon. I think that was amazing as you talked about that last, uh, the two types of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Kenyon believed in two different times. He was, he was the grandfather of the word of faith movement. And he believed in two different types of knowledge, sensory knowledge, that which we get through our five senses, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. And, but the other is revelation knowledge. And this is supernatural knowledge that comes only from God, but to, According to Kenyon, these two spheres of knowledge are mutually exclusive. And what that means is practical application where the rubber hits road for this is that if you want to go deep with God, if you want to get to the deep secret hidden things of God, you've got to disengage your mind, put your intellect in neutral uh, because the mind is the enemy, according to him in this school of thought, is the enemy of intimacy. Uh, so that you have these dueling, mutually exclusive fears, spheres. And so logical thought is of no value if you want to go deep with God. And um, yeah, and, and but that's completely contrary to scripture. That's, that is a warmed over version, Justin, of Gnosticism. I was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah. That, and, and the reason that, that it would concern me is, I mean, that opens up the whole you know, you know, you're hearing that still small voice. You're hearing the the messages of God through, uh, you know, uh, immersion prayers and what like Tio Lectio Divina. Uh, um, what is the prayer labyrinths, uh, prayer yep. walking? Um, yep. yep. All of those things that I mean, I'm seeing out not only in in Bethel culture. But in the vast majority of what calls itself, you know, uh, Baptist or non-denominational Christian in, in our area, um, we have so many that are doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Lectio Divina. This is kind of like a Roman Catholic practice when you you empty your mind and then God will speak to you. And uh, famously or rather infamously, I guess it's been. I want to say six, seven years ago, uh, John Piper yeah. did Lectio Divina up on the platform at uh, 
What conference was that? Was that uh, that was a passion conference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Passion they had fifty thousand yeah. uh, youth come in and refuse to allow leaders from the churches to come in with discernment. To um, they refused to allow them to come in because they wanted these children who have no discernment to come in and be taught by Beth Moore and uh, Lecrae and all these others. Um, What's his name? Louis Giglio telling you about if you didn't, if you didn't hear from Jesus um, asking, did Jesus speak to you personally today? And if you didn't hear, you might want to check and see if you're saved type type things like that. Um, that that, That is in our churches, in our communities today. Oh yeah. Yep. Sure is. Yeah, it was John Piper, Beth Moore, and Louis Giglio up on stage leading people. And you, you can go on YouTube and see this. They're up there standing there, and, um, yeah, they just try to empty their minds, and they encourage everybody else in the audience to empty their minds yeah. to hear from God. I, that is 180 degrees antithetical to Scripture. We're not to empty our minds. In fact, Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Uh, first and foremost, your mind. That I mean, that's where the word of Christ dwells. It's in our mind. It's in our intellect. So, um, yeah, it's it's a pagan practice, and it's a, a, a shocking and, and really sad uh, lack of discernment on the – I mean, you expect it from Beth Moore. You yeah. expect it from Louis Giglio. John Piper, that was that was really disheartening to see. Well, I think what troubles me is, is that he said he wanted that because the scripture wasn't he loved the scripture, but it wasn't enough. He wanted more. And yeah. um he's been doing this for more than just a year or two. That's been 15, 18 years now. Um yeah. that he's been bringing people in with false teachers, and lest anyone forget and get as mad as they, they want to. But he was the one that brought in Rick Warren into our into our our realm of Baptist thought and thought he was defending him and Matt Chandler and all these others. Um, David Platt, all these men have been defended by him and promoted by him. And, you know, everybody can get as mad as they want and throw stones all they want. But Rick uh, Warren just uh, inaugurated three female pastors into the SBC uh, a few days ago. And um, that should be against the convention rules, which should cause him to be his church to either be censured or, uh, well, not censured. It should actually, according to convention rules, he should be, uh, that church should be excommunicated because they violated the standards of scripture. Should be. Uh, should be. It's not going to happen. Nope. It's not going to happen. Nope. It won't. Um, there's going to be a downgrade of compromise that's going to keep coming because. Like you just said, when we start with Essex W. Kenyon and we start falling down that that hill, it goes from a a tiny rolling uh, ball of uh, snow to a giant boulder of snow and it won't stop. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. Left unchecked, when you start ordaining women, when you go down that egalitarian path, uh, every denomination that has done that, has slid right into full-blown theological liberalism. Look at the United Methodist Church today, that denomination. They are now ordaining, not just accepting homosexuals as members, ordaining them. Yeah. Uh, where did that start? It, it didn't start there. It started with them ordaining women. And so once you start down that slope, 
that is a slippery slope. It's greased. <laughs> and, um, and I, I guarantee you, mark my words, go back and watch this video 10 years from now. Uh, left unchecked, Saddleback will be fully embracing homosexuals as members in their church. My guess is they probably already got them, but, but they'll be doing it officially. Mark my words. Well, I mean, you know, think about it. Yeah. Andy Stanley, who's got, yeah. uh, had or has active homosexuals in, in their ministry. And as long as they are, I don't know what their deal was, as long as they're not practicing adultery and they can be homosexual. And I, I don't remember the whole deal, but, um, you know, they're SBC, you know, we, we yeah. have that happening constantly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all you hear is, you know, you're just being too hardcore, too, too, um, too vitriolic. Um, you, you know, you, you shouldn't be judging these brothers. They're too, they're too big for you to be commenting about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten that. <laughs> yeah. Too big. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we're, we're, there's only one person that we will have to give an account to one day. Amen. And one day I'm going to stand before a nomination and give an account. I'm not going to stand before the SPC or the UPC or any other. I'm not going to stand before a board or a committee or a seminary. I'm going to stand before Christ and I'll have right. to give an account to him. So, um, yeah, the SPC is, it's in a deep, deep doctrinal drift. Do you remember a couple of years back, they wanted some lady, I can't remember, what was her name? They wanted this lady to be the president. And more and those guys. What Beth was that name? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I pulled up her screenshot. I mean, her uh, on your PowerPoint of her two books. Uh, I don't know if you can see that or not. Um, yep. Um, maybe you want to comment on on this. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, the first one there. Beth Moore praying God's word. Uh, she says on page two, what little I know, I want others to know before God tells me a secret. He knows up front, I'm going to tell it now. Stop right there. That if God knows you're going to tell it, why is it? How is, how is it a secret? I mean, I don't even make any sense, but, uh, and then she says, by and large, that's our deal. So you see Beth Moore and Yahweh have their own little special little deal going on between the two of them, their own little thing that, um, they're, you know, and so Beth Moore's got a closer relationship with God than do any of us. They got their own little secret deal. That's Gnosticism. That is a warmed over version of Gnosticism. Uh, and then next, her next book there, I don't know about her next book chronologically, but on my slide, when yeah. godly people do ungodly things, Ironically, this book is subtitled Arming Yourself in the Age of Seduction. That's a very ironic wow. title. Yeah, right? I know. Uh, she said, I heard the voice of God speak to my heart, come and play. I love that he said, come, not go, come. That meant he was already there. I also love how I could tell by the sweet tone of his silent voice. That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, if, if what is a silent voice? I don't even know um, what that means. And if a, if a voice is somehow silent, how does it have a tone to it? It doesn't have a tone to it, yeah. Much less a sweet tone. I, I just, I don't know. That's it's talking. Like saying, that. That's like saying there's a, a, a round circle. I mean, a round square. A round you know, square. A round square, yeah. I mean, 
anyway, but she said, I could tell by the sweet tone of the silent voice that he was smiling. And I just got to say, Ooh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I could have outlined his expression with my finger. You talk about creepy. This is what, very, what does, mean? what does that mean? I don't, I don't understand what she's trying to say. Cause it, it it's, yeah. it, it's almost romantic. Um, yes. Maybe I'm looking into it too far, but it sounds oh, no. romantic. Oh no, you're not. You're not looking at it too. No, no, it, it is romantic. In fact, uh, push the down arrow key again. There, there's a, a second little part to this paragraph. Oh, okay. Yeah, she says, "I built a snowman. I laughed with God. He laughed with me. I am so in love with him. I am so in love with him." You know what that reminds me of? What? Oh, uh, the lady that did G- Jesus Calling. Yeah. Um, in her original preface to her book, she talks about walking in the snow and Jesus was actually talking to her, like telling her what she was going to do and yep. all this stuff. Yep. Sarah Young. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. She was walking in the snow up in the mountains one night and had this mystical, romantic kind of experience, you know, with Jesus. And that was, yeah. And from that, we have Jesus calling. So, uh, in fact, uh, on the same page here, and I just couldn't fit it on the slide, but on the same page, Beth Moore actually calls this uh, experience, or this relationship that she has with Jesus and everlasting or eternal. I can't remember which word she uses, but I think it's everlasting uh, romance. She actually calls it a romance. Um. Why, why don't why don't people read that and have a problem? I mean, good question. Why, let me say, I, I don't say that nobody does, but why wouldn't more people to the point where people would call it out and say, this is blasphemy? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know any way to say it. The, the, the Bible doesn't say ever say any of that, that Jesus is my boyfriend, God is my boyfriend nonsense. I, I've never seen it. I've never read it anywhere. No. No, it's not. And see, Justin, I think what a lot of this is, is that you see a lot of these female Bible teachers, these popular female Bible teachers, they have a a very romanticized view of Christ. Uh, many of them don't have a true um, godly husband. Their husbands are not the spiritual leaders in their home. And Beth Moore would be exhibit A on this. And I'm not gossiping here because Beth Moore openly says this, that her husband, Keith, doesn't care about doctrine and theology. It's just he doesn't care. He was he was raised Catholic. And uh, from what I can tell, I mean, Beth Moore will openly say my man referring to Keith is is not much one for not much of not not one much for studying the Bible. She said that recently. Uh, in fact, very recently, just a few days ago, she talked about Keith uh, cussing a blue streak, you know, so and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to condemn the guy. I mean, whatever is behind his foul language, that's between him and the Lord. But but you're going to just talk about that, about your husband publicly. I mean, that's um, that is so off putting. But uh Anyway, uh, but he's not the spiritual leader uh, yes. at all. And my guess is 
from what Beth Morris said of him, uh, I, I, my, my guess is he's not converted. And so with the lack of a spiritual leader in the home, then Jesus becomes their surrogate husband. Uh, and they have a very, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. He becomes their surrogate husband. Well, and, but- um, and you read re- most women's Bible studies, yeah. Joyce Meyer, Beth Moore, Christine Kane, or whatever, uh, Priscilla Shire. It's a very romanticized view of Jesus. And, and uh, so it's, it's very unhealthy. Would you say that since they're not hearing their husbands speak the, of the things of God, that they are um, portraying that God himself is speaking the things to them personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They see in Jesus what what they wish they had in their husbands, but don't. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with that. I, I think that's exactly what you're saying is is right on the money. It's, you yeah. know, I mean, but for what purpose would would the Bible? You know, you made a statement at the conference that that I think is is everybody needs to examine this. You know, that Bible, those sixty six books, have you so perfectly? mastered it that you need more of God speaking than what he's written down in his word. That's right. Uh, I, I think that is um, an, an incredibly convicting and powerful um, lesson because if the Bible is, is clear and concise on what it says and we're not even willing to submit to it, you know, then, then what makes us think yeah. that, any one of us has a right to to even speak about it, to to proclaim its truths when we won't submit to it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, people say I, I need something more. They, they won't deny the Bible is the word of God, at least not in our circles. They won't outright deny that. They'll say, yes, yeah, the Bible is the word of God. It's God's revelation to us. But there's more. I need something more. And more. how is that? How, I, I mean, it, have you mastered the Bible? Have you squeezed every drop of truth there is to be squeezed out of the pages of Scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21? You have mastered it all from cover to cover. If the answer to that question is no, and it is, because none of us has done that, then don't tell me you need something more. Yeah, I agree. You, you don't even understand what you have in black and white right in front of you. Don't, don't tell me you need something more. But that's that's at the root of this. It's a, a lack of contentment with the scriptures, not denying them, but just not content with them. Not they're, content. Not, they're not sufficient. They're, they're not they, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's where the battle is today. It's not so much over inerrancy, at least not theoretically, over efficiency. I'm going to pull up the next uh, slides that have the uh, the videos. Um, okay. just let, let me know if you can hear it. And, um, I'll ask John in the back if, uh, if you hear it fine, if not, uh, send me a text message and let me know there's a problem. Okay. Last week we began a new, uh, mini series on understanding how to hear the voice of God. Yeah, sorry about that. God. Very few things are more important than this because you can't have a relationship to God 
if you can't hear God. If all you do is ever talk to him in prayer and you never hear God speak to you, that's a one-way relationship. That isn't much of a relationship. Who was that? Yeah, that's Rick Warren. Uh, this is Saddleback guy, pastor of Saddleback Church, author of Purpose Driven Life. Next to the Bible, the, the best-selling book of all time, shockingly. Uh, and Rick Warren says, if you never hear God speak back to you, then that's not much of a relationship. So if you're not hearing God speak to you, then you're just, you don't have much of a relationship with God. So, so apparently hearing from God, there's, these are high stakes. I mean, you've, you've got to get this right because if, if you don't hear from God, you're in trouble. Well, well, I mean, so if I don't hear from God and God's not actually speaking to me audibly, is it reasonable to maybe assume that he's either on a higher level of Christianity than I am or that I may not be saved at all? Exactly. What other conclusion can you come to? I mean, if so Rick Warren apparently hears God speak to him regularly, um, but you don't and I don't. And so Rick Warren... I mean, he, if what he is saying is true, then he's got a far better, deeper, more intimate relationship with God than do you and I, Justin. And uh, quite possibly you and I are not even saved. We're just so deceived because if, if we were truly saved, then we should be hearing the voice of God. Well, he's the only one that says that, though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Rick Warren's he's a real outlier. <laughs> yeah. No. Hi, I'm Priscilla Shire, and I'm hoping that you'll join me for a six-week journey as we talk about how we can hear and discern the voice of God in our lives. Do you really expect and anticipate that the divine voice of God can be heard by you? Do you really think that he loved you enough to die for you, but doesn't love you enough to then talk to you? Before we go any further, mm-hmm. Justin... I'm going to ask you to expound on this because I have people in our community that have Priscilla Schreier come to her, their church. They have these types of people. She brings in people that to come to the church. They have conferences. They tell, you know, Rick Warren's got a, a satellite type church up the road. Um, what's the danger in listening to this type of message? Oh my goodness. There's, there's so many, uh, it makes you doubt your walk with God could make you doubt your salvation and it divorces you from your reliance upon scripture. So what we really need to be doing is cultivating this mystical relationship with God, where we hear from him rather than spending time in his word, rather than rightly dividing the word of truth, rather rather than studying to show ourselves ourselves approved unto God. No, cultivating this mystical kind of, you know, just, um, I mean, like like yoga, really, you just kind of, you close your eyes and you, you just empty your mind and try to hear, it's Lectio Divina, you know, try to hear the voice of God. And, and uh, so anything that diverts your attention away from the word of God is not the work of the author of the word of God. Yeah. This is a doctrine that is not coming from God because it diverts your attention away from scripture. So whatever the source of it is, it ain't God. It ain't yeah. God. It, there, it, it, there may be a spirit that's at the source of it, but it is not the Holy spirit. 
So uh, it's profoundly and, and what an insult to scripture, by the way, when she says, do you think the, do you think God really loved you enough to die for you, but does not love you enough to then talk to you? What an insult to scripture. What does she think the Bible is? So Agreed. yeah, Agreed. God, God does talk to me in, in these 66 canonical books that I have bound right in front of me. That's where he talks to me. Well, but do you think that she means God talking in the word of God? Or do you think that she's talking about, you know, that, that uh, God told me this, God told me that type thing. That's what she's talking about. Yeah. She's written a whole book on it. In fact, I think she's written two books on it. So yeah, that's what she, she's not talking about the scriptures. So, she's talking about, yeah. So these are the only two. I mean, we wouldn't say like Muhammad, he didn't hear that. Um, Joseph Smith, he didn't have a special re- revelation from from God or anything like that. I mean, not not something like like this, right? I mean, this is unique. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is unique. Yeah, it's no, it's that's it's funny you should mention Joseph Smith and Muhammad because that's what they all have in common. Um in fact, this might be getting a little tangential here, but when you read the um, stories of Joseph Smith and Muhammad, both of these men had this entity, this thing appear to them and give them new revelation. And initially, both of these men were scared of it. They thought that it was malevolent. It was an evil spirit being yeah. that appeared to them. But over time, they became convinced, no, this really is of God. And so, and they, so they acquiesced to it. And so now you've got two huge false religions, Mormonism and Islam that were begun in almost identical ways. There are some striking parallels between Joseph Smith and Muhammad. And I can't prove this one way or the other. It's just kind of my own. It's my sanctified speculation. It's just uh, my, my educated guess. Yeah. I would not at all be surprised one day when we get to heaven, find out that it was the very same demon that appeared to both Joseph Smith and Muhammad because the parallels are just eerie. Yeah. And, and obviously these men didn't know each other. You know, they were separated by what, uh, 1400 years or something like years, that yeah. or 1600, probably 1600 years. Yeah. yeah. 1600 years. So, um, they obviously didn't know each other, but there were, eerie parallels and I, I would not be surprised if it was the same demon. Amen. Amen. Well, now we're going to touch on somebody's favorite uh, topic here in just a second. So if, if we, if we uh, singe their feet, that's fine. It's, it's good to know. Um, let's go ahead. So you're, are you asking if God speaks specifically? And the answer is yes, he does. Let me give you two or three examples. Speaking about buying groceries on a particular day, I had a very short period of time. And so I wanted to buy a turkey for Thanksgiving. My time was really running out. And I thought, well, I shouldn't do this now. I said, God, just show me what to do. It's like God said, go to this store, buy the turkey now. Against sort of my will, I went. I walked right in, straight to the right place, the right pound of turkey, walked right out, paid it, got back in the car in less than about 25 minutes. Did God tell me to go? Yes, he did. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh because it's not that funny because when you think about how many people are, um, how many people get sucked into this. Oh yeah. I, mean, I have close friends of mine that have, have had their pastors, former pastors that have, you know, talked about 
this, uh, I heard Jesus, I heard God. If you're a true Christian, you'll hear God more to the point where now they start having dreams and they have visions and they have all of these things. And that's what I heard Charles Stanley just say. God told me to drive to the store to go in against my will. I went, I, in other words, God drugged me. Yep. Um, took me down, showed me the right turkey with the right poundage to buy for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I think John MacArthur says that, yeah, the, the guy that uh, was praying for the, the parking spot, he missed out because you, you got your victory there. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, you know, this is Charles Stanley. This is Mr. SBC. He's a former president of the Southern Baptist convention. And I, I can't tell you how many people, I mean, there are hordes of people who would readily recognize that Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn are false prophets. You know, yeah, yeah no, clearly they are, but they love Charles Stanley. And uh, it's the same basic error though. Both Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Charles Stanley claim that God speaks to them regularly out of scripture. So we're, we're talking about the same fundamental problem here. It's just a difference of degrees maybe, but yeah. I tell you what, it's not much of a difference of degrees cause that's, that's pretty intimate. I mean, if your relationship with God is so intimate that he tells you where to go get your Thanksgiving day Turkey. I mean, he must, God must be talking to him all the time. Tells him where to go get his Turkey. I don't, God never tells me where to get my turkey. And if God has never told you where to get your turkey, then uh, you must not have as close a walk with God as does Charles Stanley. And and Justin, I, 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 I'm going to say something, and I'll say it because it's a smaller venue here. I've been really reluctant to say it in large venues. but And I take, please understand, I take no joy at all in what I'm about to say. I state this only to make a point. Uh, Charles Stanley is divorced. Yes. Okay. He's divorced and should be biblically disqualified from even being in the pastorate. So how is it that God tells him where to get his Thanksgiving day Turkey, but did not apparently tell him how to save his marriage? I was going to say the exact same thing. You know, I, that's my concern there is he can tell you something, you know, so much for human responsibility. He can tell you something as trivial as where to get a Turkey. And don't get me wrong. We should go to the Lord with everything. That's what we are to do. Trusting yeah. the Lord in all things. Um, but to just take it at what he was saying and he's got such a relationship with God that God will talk to him about his Thanksgiving day Turkey and what kind of dressing he should have and how many people he should invite this, that, and the other, but he doesn't tell him how to deal with his marriage problems. Right. And the fact that, um, I'd say this, but the, the fact that he has a son who is leading people away from the word of God, away from the scripture, the sufficiency of scripture and who is um, leading people into hell, telling people they're just fine as they are. Um, yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And 
you know this so so it shows you how widespread this belief is and 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 how quickly it breaks down logically you know i I take no joy that Charles Stanley is divorced. Uh, I think yeah. it's terrible, but it shows you how how meaningless and how vacuous this theology is. I mean, if who cares if God told him where to go get his turkey if God didn't tell him how to save his marriage? So it's just it just this breaks down so fast. Yeah. Well, and you know, you think about it. It's it's not about trying to be vicious against, you know, Priscilla Schreier, Rick Warren, or anyone else. It's about telling people that are going to listen, that will hopefully listen, that we got to be careful that even people that we think might be uh, solid, they can lead, they can, they can fall into these stray patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, if you notice, neither one of us said that Charles Stanley was a heretic, you know, yeah. but this is false. It is. And it's wrong and it's bad. And it's going to hurt people. So we got to be, yeah. we, we got to be, um, we got to be strong and stay the course and call a spade a spade and tell the truth as it is. Um, Absolutely. You had this thing from Sam Storms here that uh, I think was incredible because the note you had on here tells us there's a forward by Matt Chandler. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's right. Uh, Sam Storms, for those who may not know who he is, Sam Storms would agree with us, Justin, on soteriology. Uh, He has a high view of the sovereignty of God, doctrines of grace, Calvinism, to use that term. But he's a charismatic. He believes in the continuance of the apostolic gifts, the signed gifts. And so he says to be the recipient of prophetic revelation from God, whether in dreams, impressions, trances, Visions or words of knowledge and words of wisdom can be nothing short of euphoric. The experience brings feelings of nearness to God and a heightened sense of spiritual intimacy that isn't often the case with the other of the charismata, the the um, the spiritual gifts. In other words, he's saying if you get dreams, if you get visions, trances even from God, you know these kinds of charismatic gifts, they're on a higher level than the gifts of teaching, administration, mercy. These are legitimate spiritual gifts, and he is demeaning, diminishing those gifts. So if you have have dreams and visions, then you have a closer, more intimate relationship with God, uh, euphoric even, uh, that is just not the case if you have the gift of administration or if you have the gift of mercy or if you have the gift of teaching. That... That's, I mean, it's, I it's okay, but it's not nothing special. Nothing to write home about. Getting dreams and visions from God, that, that is. That's as well, a Gnosticism again. The very first part of that, he says, to be the recipient of prophetic revelation from God. Um, is Am I wrong? Is he not claiming that, that if you get these things, you're a prophet given from God? You are... You are, a, I mean, I, the way I would see it, he's saying that you're a prophet from God. God has given you his revelation, his word. Yep. Yep, that's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, he believes in the continuance of the, of the prophetic gift that God speaks directly outside of scripture. Oh, man. That's, uh, that, I, I'm, I'm going to say that's, 
you know, I believe in a closed canon for a reason, because if this is true, every person that's ever told me or every ever thought that God has spoken revelation, you know, we believe that God revealed his word to, you know, the apostles, the prophets of old and gave his word, you know, in, in Hebrews one, many times, in many ways, God yep. spoke to uh, through the histories has spoken. And now he's finally finished his speaking through his son, Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus, if I can remind everybody, that appointed the apostles to speak on his behalf and write down the revelatory truth of the word of God. That's why we have a closed canon. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. And, but if you, if you begin with their theology, if you accept their theology, you cannot have a closed canon. You cannot have a closed canon of scripture. If you believe this, if you hold to this position, because, and this is something I normally say later in the, in the presentation, but, uh, but since we're on it, God cannot speak less authoritatively on one occasion than he does on another. Yes. God cannot speak in the Bible and really, really, really mean it. But when he speaks to us today outside of the Bible in a hunch, you know, impression in a still small voice, he still, he still means it, but he doesn't mean it quite as much as he meant it in the Bible. And sometimes you'll hear these people say that they'll say, now we're not saying that God speaks on the same level as the scriptures. We're not saying that. Well, my question is, why aren't you saying that? And how yeah. could you not be saying that? If God is speaking, God is speaking. Yeah, what's and the whatever, difference? Go ahead. Yeah, what's the difference? Exactly. Exactly. What's the difference? I mean, God, he just, so in the Bible, he really means it. But when he speaks to us today in a still small voice and a hunch or impression, he, he still means it, but n- not as much. He kind of means it. You know, like he, what, has he got his fingers crossed? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got his fingers crossed behind his back. I, I mean, how does that how does that work? Well, you know, for me, what started this, I mean, I had not considered these things. And, and, and you put it out here on the experiencing God. You know, that's to me what started this whole yep. um, trek downward into yep. this this pit of, you know, God told me. So, so you can't question me because God told me. Right. That's right. Yep. Yep. You can't question me. God told me that. And um, I've always wanted to ask these people, what does God sound like? Yeah. Does he sound like Charlton Heston or James Earl Jones? What is it? Just maybe he sounds like Pee Wee Herman. I don't know. I've never heard his voice. But uh, but yeah, this is this is where it began. Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Did you ever go through this, Justin? Uh, my wife and I went through it, and as as I read through it, I mean, we at our church, uh, we have a we were at a, a very large church in our community. My wife and I went through it. Uh, the as I recall, the whole church did, and it caused. I mean, the music ministers they were all up dancing and shouting and screaming that you know we're hearing God speak and and all this yep. stuff, and it went to you know, where the church is now, it's, it's rough. Um, it's, it's rough. I mean, you can't, 
you can't question people on what they what God told them because they experienced uh, mm-hmm. this voice from God who told them. Um, well, I'll just tell you that uh, a lady I know that I love dearly, she was uh, in a trance or something, and and God sent her to the bottom of the ocean to hold up the tectonic plates of America. Uh, and, and, yeah, uh, because that's. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> God sent her to the bottom to hold up the tectonic plates. Yep. There's she must have been working out. Uh well, she's more, you know, she's you know, very spiritual. <laughs> and, very, and very strong too, apparently. Now I will say this. Praise God, they got out of that church and got away from that teaching. But that's what she defended for the longest time. And you know, it took a long time, but she got out of that. And I know she's at a solid church now, but, you know, we've, I've, I've talked to many people who have experienced God and it has not been a good experience when it comes to the truth of the word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, I think is singularly most responsible for introducing charismatic theology into at least theoretically non-charismatic churches. I love how you say that because you think about how many churches would say we're SBC or we're, we're, you know, whatever. And we don't believe in this fanciful stuff. Right. Here comes, here comes Henry Blackaby and he's got four or five other um, books that are study books that are at Lifeway and whatnot that churches just eat up. Yep. Yep. That's right. Absolutely they're all have to do with this emotional experiential Christianity. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Let's see. Oh, but if you, I, a thought. yeah, you can skip that. Cause that kind of treads some ground. We've already, really don't mean this Last week, you can we just go to the next slide. Oh, you have to give me a second. Sorry. Understanding <laughs> how to hear the voice of God. Give me just a second. Let me pull this up. There we go. Very few things are more important. Oh, okay. You, can you pause that? Where it's naturally supernatural. I have read of the great men and women of faith. One in particular intrigues me so much. His name, Smith Wigglesworth. He had some of the most outrageous miracles I ever heard of in my life. Uh, Let me give you one example. Some parents had a two-month-old baby. Oops, I'm so sorry. I'm in the hospital. The parents kidnapped the child, took the child to a Smith Wigglesworth meeting, and Smith looks at the child, looks at the parents, and says, can I do what God tells me to do? Well, what would you do if you were the parents? The child's dying anyway, right? He takes the baby, two-month-old, throws the baby against the wall. <laughs> the baby. Then the baby's on the floor. He ta- Have you ever seen someone play soccer? Have you ever seen them uh, kick a soccer ball? He does that with the baby. The baby falls into the congregation. No crying. Is it dead? 
100% healed. No Okay. I'm going to give everybody just about one second to think about this for a second. Um, that sounds like Todd Bentley. Yeah. Kicking people in the face and in the stomach and, you know, knocking people down and punching people in the face. Yep. That is one of the more shocking videos that I have in my seminar. Um, so, Smith Wigglesworth was a faith healer, British guy, in the first half of the 20th century, 1900s. And he was known for kicking and punching people. He, he claimed to be able to see demons attached to people. So like demon of cancer, demon of arthritis. And so if someone had a disease that had the, the demon of whatever disease that was wrapped around that person, of course, you know, he only only Smith could could see these entities, but um, apparently the only way to dislodge said demons from afflicted person is to kick them, kick them off, punch them off, you know, and, and um, <laughs> he was the inspiration for Todd Bentley, much more current, you know, Todd Bentley yeah. also kicked and punched people. Well, Todd Bentley learned it from, stories about Smith Wigglesworth and that, I mean, Justin, I don't even, that, that is so shocking. Um, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. At at times you just kind of, you, you, you run out of, you run out of superlatives. You just find yourself at a loss for words to even try to describe this stuff how horrific it is. And um, one of the charismatic mantras that you hear them say all the time, what God does for one, he'll do for you. And so someone is sitting at home and they're watching Sid Roth and they're thinking, my kid is sick. My neighbor's kid is sick. What God does for one, he'll do for you. And lest you think that there are not people in this world dumb enough to actually believe that and actually act on it, the very fact that he is putting this on his program, that is inherent proof that there are people in this world dumb enough to do that. It's it's inherent proof of it. So uh, it's shocking. I mean, it, it is absolutely shocking. And, you know, that was three years ago. This video remains on his YouTube channel right now. No, he's so he's, he's not ashamed of this. No, um, no, he's not ashamed of it. And I actually asked Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, in an email once. I showed him that video, sent him a link to it. I said, do you really believe this happened? And his only response was, well, was the baby healed? Apparently the baby was healed. So if, you know, if the baby was healed, uh, God... God did this. It's just unbelievable. You mean the one that's absolutely unbelievable. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Michael Brown's the one that started the Brownsville revival and was telling people that, that um, this was an actual miracles an actual revival and assuring everybody that all this stuff that was 
absolutely outside of the box of, of normal uh, life at the moment um, that it was real deal. He was the one that started that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that Michael Brown started it. I know he was part of it. Maybe he yeah. did. I'd, I'd have to go. Well, back. As he far was, as when I yeah. say started it, I'm saying he was the one that's sitting there promoting it. Telling oh, yeah, everybody he promoted it. Was the real deal. He was right there in the middle of it. Telling yeah. all the, everybody all this stuff that was not biblical was going on. And that yeah, um, right. it was perfectly fine. Yep. Wow. And, and, and Michael Brown and Sid Roth, by the way, they have been, you can, you can skip forward through that slide, but Michael Brown and Sid Roth have been good friends for 40 years, 40 yeah. years. And Michael Brown is considered to be one of the leaders, the intellectual leaders of the charismatic movement. And yet he's been good friends with, Sid Roth for 40 years. So, um, I pulled up Bill Hybels here, um, because I wanted, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear you talk about that. There are a lot of people in our, in our communities and our churches that just, just are blinded by the, the, the heresy that is Bill Hybels. And, yeah. um, they are just uh, steeped into it. So, yeah. Yeah, Bill Hybels writes in his book, without a hint of exaggeration, I can boldly declare that God's low volume whispers have saved me from a life of sure boredom and self-destruction. It's kind of along the same vein of what we were talking about with Charles Stanley, how God told him where to get his turkey, but not to not how to save his marriage. Bill Hybels, uh, just in the last couple of years, has been DQ'd, disqualified from ministry for sexually immoral behavior. Yep. So, so much for those low volume whispers that saved him from a life of boredom and self-destruction. Um, he self-destructed. Yeah. So much for those low volume whispers. Well, and you know, you and I talked about this before and I'll say this, and I'll just go ahead and, and take the brunt for this or whatever. Anybody wants to get mad about it. When you have, um, when you have people that are, you know, let's let's say they're they're the intellectual elite or the theological elite or the 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 highbrow the the ones that you know that are well known, when their theology or their doctrine is is shaky in areas, and and other people are allowed to come in that are heretical. Yeah. The heresy never gets lessened. You know, like, like we talked about, the Bible doesn't say that 50 pounds of leaven leavens the whole lump. That's right. It says that a little bit, the smallest speck of leaven will sin, will eventually overtake and destroy whatever good ministry you got going on. And when you have compromised people who are willing to um, allow wolves in, allow false teaching in, are willing to compromise in, in their areas in their own lives, eventually it's going to come out. Yep. You know, yep. I, I don't know what, I don't know when it started, but the, the boy that was on the, the nine, 19 kids and counting. Yeah, I, don't know when, I don't know when his depravity started, but I know he didn't start where he is today. Right. Right. Yep. Both sin, whatever form that, that takes sexual sin in his case, horrific sexual sin, but both sin and error, 
theological error, heresy, left unchecked, it grows. It metastasizes. It grows. It snowballs, as you said a little bit earlier. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the nature of the beast. Amen. Amen. You know, you, do you want to use that one? Yeah, we can do this. This is uh, Robert Morris, talk, you know, pastor of uh, Gateway Church in the DFW area, one of the largest churches in the country, enormously popular, and, and flies in under the radar a lot more so than like a Benny Hinn or a Kenneth Copeland. Robert Morris, you know, he's more mainstream looking, um, not as flamboyant as some of the others, but the same heresy. And he's talking here about how prayer is a two-way street. You know, if we said we're going to have a class on prayer, you'd say, that's, that's, I need that. And even the disciples said, teach us to pray. But let me remind you that hearing God is the second half of prayer. Because if you can't hear God, why would you pray? Now, one reason is to make our requests and petitions be known to God. But God never intended prayer to be a giving of our to-do list to him every morning. He intended prayer to be communication between a father and his children. And if you'll just take some time and start to listen, you'll be amazed that he'll speak. Oh, wow. Hey, man, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we hear this all the time, right? Prayer is a two-way street. We pray to God and then we get real quiet and, and we get real quiet. We listen for that still small voice for God to speak back to us. But that is foreign to the scriptures. Uh, There is nothing in the Bible that says anything about listening to God when we pray. Um, it's just not there. And uh, uh, in fact, in Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what a great opportunity, right? For Jesus to say, hey, guys, I'm so glad you asked. All right, here's how you do it. You pray, you talk to God for a while, you tell him what you want, what you need, what's on your heart. And then you get real quiet and you listen real hard for that still small voice. I mean, the the ball is sitting on the two-way street T, <laughs> waiting, begging for Jesus to knock it out of the park. Amen. That's not what Jesus said. He said nothing of the sort. He said, when you pray, pray in this way, Lord, our, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, nothing about prayer being a two-way street. That is, a, that is a, an entire theology that we have completely fabricated out of thin air. It's not in the Bible. We just created it out of whole cloth. So we don't we don't hear God in a, in a still small voice. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about eating some dinner earlier, and I thought, you know, should I eat some dinner or, or go talk to Justin? And this still small voice said, <laughs> it was actually my wife. She said, "Get down here, and get to talk to Justin." <laughs> <laughs> now that is a voice I would listen to. Yeah, that's that right. I would listen to. Uh, but yeah, the still small voice. So here's a tweet from Beth Moore. She says there's a time to give up and a time to keep trying. Sometimes the time to keep trying feels a whole lot like the time to give up. The only difference is the still small voice of the Holy Spirit within you saying, try again. So, I mean, that's just one of thousands of examples we could cite. But this whole still small voice, well, it comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. 
And uh, there in verse 11, this is the story of Elijah. Elijah had just called down fire from heaven, destroyed the prophets of Baal, destroyed them, destroyed their sacrifices, destroyed their altar, you know, very dramatic scene. And then Jezebel, this woman, got after him, threatened his life, and he fled into the wilderness like a scared schoolgirl, scared for his life, <laughs> which is really odd. I've always thought those are really odd after this dramatic victory. I mean, calling down fire from heaven and destroying false prophets. And then this woman gets after him. It's like, I'm out, I'm out of here. And uh, anyway, he said, he said, go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire, a still small voice. So there it is still small voice. This is in the King James. It's only the King James that renders it this way. And look at verse 13. So, and it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in the entrance of the cave. So Elijah was in this cave when all this happened. He stood out. He he wrapped his face in the mantle, in his mantle, walked out to the entrance of the cave, so he could hear this voice more clearly. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, "What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah?" So this was not some inner impression. It was not some hunch, some feeling, some voice inside of his noggin. It was an external voice. It was not internal. It was an external, not an internal subjective, an external audible voice, just like you're hearing my voice right now. So I tell people, you know, this has totally been taken out of context. Yeah. So we really need to do away with the whole still small voice thing because it's not what that means. And we've created this whole theology out of it. One thing I want to encourage everybody to think about just for a minute is um, what you're hearing right now is called exegetical, grammatical, historical, theological discussion. We are doing exegesis. We're not trying to do theological hermeneutics or experimental hermeneutics. We're not trying to do, you know, uh, experiential. We're not trying to do, you know, emotional hermeneutics, uh, typologies, all of these things that are trying to 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 overstate these cases, because because what you've heard most most likely in the churches that you've been at, and I'm not saying all of them, a lot of good churches, but most likely if you've heard this still small voice theology, what you've been hearing is that God is speaking to you in low tones, as we heard earlier those sweet tones, those sweet, silent voices and tones, Beth Moore said it, um, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your conscience, your soul. And and what Justin just did was he explained that this text, back to the scripture, what does the Bible say? The text reveals that Elijah was in this cave and the reason there was a still small voice is that the, the voice was outside of the cave and he could barely hear it. That's yep. what it means. It doesn't mean that he had this little emotional feeling and he had a, a little party for himself. 
uh, in his heart because God was finally talking to him and he ran out there to, to face the wind. It tells us here, that's what Justin just did for you, is he gave you a theological, doctrinal, exegetical interpretation to understand what this passage means. If your pastor's not doing that, you're in trouble. That's right. If your pastor's not doing that, if, if your teachers aren't doing that, you're in trouble. Because the word of God means what it says in a literary, literal context. We don't just try to allegorize or spiritualize. We don't try to play, play games with the word of God. And you need a godly man, a godly pastor, a godly leader who will teach, thus saith the Lord. So I just want to encourage you on that because that's a lot of times when you're when you're looking at, at, at leadership, you're looking at churches, you hear people that get these, oh, I got this impression from the Lord. I got this idea. That's why the SBC, uh, uh, Russell Moore, and Albert Muller and all these guys wanted Beth Moore to be in leadership because they were not willing to stand and say she is in error. Right. And this is going to continue to happen until godly men will stand up for the word of God. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant, but I was. No, go ahead, rant. brother. So. Hearty amen. Hearty amen. I think it's, I just think it's so scary to hear about that. Oh yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's, uh, there's so little exposition, true exposition going on in, in our churches today. That most people have never actually heard good preaching. Yeah. They, they've never heard it. They hear stories. They hear little sermonettes. They hear topical, eisegetical stuff, but they've never heard true exposition. Uh, but I tell you, if you're a regenerate person, once you hear it, once you hear it from a true expositor and you get a taste of it, you can never go back. You will yeah. never be satisfied with this mealy mouth, topical, pop psychologized preaching that, that dominates most pulpits today. You'll never be satisfied with it again if you're regenerate. Well, that's because, you know, as you said, you say here in your next slide, my sheep hear my voice and, you know, breaking down what that truly means. <laughs> we want to hear from God. We want to yeah. hear the word of God from the God of the word. Yep, that's right. That's right. All right. So John chapter 10, look at verse 1. We're talking about we're sheep and we can hear God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, now watch this carefully, and the sheep, watch, hear his voice. Can, can you just say those three words? Hear his voice. It's so John ten twenty seven to <laughs> me is the most concise and comprehensive verse in scripture about hearing God. Uh, it is when Jesus says, my sheep. Hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I just I, it, every time I watch that clip, it just kills me. Her expression, like this, you know, they 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 play the John ten twenty seven card, and it's like the the end all be all. Dare you to explain this away? How can you say that God doesn't speak to us outside of Scripture when Jesus clearly says, "My sheep hear my voice," and she's like. 
That's the clearest verse there is. And, and it's the one they all use. They all This is the gold standard of the God speaks to me outside of scripture theology, John 10, 27. So, I mean, seems like, you know, bada boom, bada bing. God, my sheep hear my voice. How can you argue with that? Well, uh, quite easily, actually. So let's look at this. Uh, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Well, wow, there it is. Problem is, there's a, a bit of context here and it becomes very apparent just by looking at the verse one verse in front, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, you do not believe. You don't believe in me. Why? Because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is talking about eternal life here. This is this is matters of regeneration. And verse 28 makes that abundantly and crystal clear. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is not talking about God whispering in your head in some still small voice telling you where to go to have lunch one day or to take a right turn instead of a left turn or something like that. That is that is not what this passage is talking about. This is eternal life. This is the effectual call of the gospel. Amen. What John 10 is talking about is that before we come to Christ, if you're a Christian now, before you came to Christ, you were still a sheep, but you were a lost sheep. And you were lost sheep out there grazing in the pasture of life with your head down, munching on the clovers, minding your own business. But all of a sudden you hear a voice, you hear a call, and you perk your head up. And you see the shepherd and you go to him. That's what this is talking about. Jesus calling his lost sheep to himself in conversion, in the new birth, regeneration. Not telling you where to go to have lunch one day. Not telling you to go to, you know, Subway and get a whatever. Where to go get your turkey. Go get your turkey, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 this is a beautiful, majestic, profound, deep passage of Scripture. It's not hard to understand. It's crystal clear. But it is deep. It is profound. It is majestic. And to to get John 10 so wrong, yeah. I mean, I, you, Justin, you heard me say this the other night at the conference. If you can't get the clear meaning of John chapter 10 right, I mean, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You don't have to do high-level exegesis here to understand what he's saying. It's obvious. Just read your Bible in English. It's very clear what he's saying. So if you can reduce something so profound and trivialize it and make it so menial as what these people do with John 10, you've got no business teaching the Bible. Amen. You've got no business teaching the Bible. Amen. You know, get a secular job. Be a plumber, be a dentist, you know, nothing wrong with being a plumber or being a dentist. But if that's your if that's how you exegete scripture, don't don't talk, don't teach the Bible. You can't do it. Yeah. And and that goes for anyone who would reduce John chapter 10 to something like that. And um, in verse 29, my father who has given them to me 
We are love gifts as Christians. We are gifts from the Father to the Son, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so Jesus, he calls us to himself, and he holds us in his hand, which is strong enough. But then in verse 29, he takes, as it were, he takes the Father's hand and wraps it around that of his own, Yeah, and he holds us. You talk about eternal security. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Uh, and it's a beautiful passage of scripture. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's beautiful. And it's a terrible trivialization to reduce it to something as meaningless as, as what these, these people do with it. And well, you know, what I see too, brother, is in, in this passage, you have a blessing for the believer and a curse for those that are not. That's right. You have Jesus is rebuking non-believers who should know, who have heard the truth, and yet in their heart they refuse to believe him. And he says it's because you're not of my sheep. That's right. There's a I mean, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that condemnation. You're not my sheep. You're a goat. Yeah. You know, Um, but my sheep they hear my voice. It's talking about the gospel call. Yep. You know, it's talking about the gospel call. My, that my sheep hear my voice. You know, they, they hear in their, in their converted, regenerated soul, should I say, that they are vile sinners in the need of a holy God and that they must follow Christ to the cross where he went and died and paid the penalty for our sin. Yep. And in, in trusting Christ in the name of Christ alone, in that name, we see that all that has been given to Christ to save, to pay the debt for, are his for eternity, and he will never lose them. And the Father has guaranteed it based upon his name too. Mm-hmm. So so we are, we are doubly secure based upon the name of God. And if I might add, sealed in Ephesians 2 by the power, or by the spirit of God. We are sealed by the spirit. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, and, and by the way, just while, while we're doing this, if you don't have that assurance and you don't know Christ as your savior, I urge you right now to cry out and repent and trust Christ alone for your salvation, not for an experience that you had, but know in truth that God has saved you from your sin. Yep. So I want to encourage that. So, Amen. Amen. I think the the next one is the the big one that is <laughs> what is it is it like the second or third most uh, sold material? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as devotional books, it's light years ahead of everything else. Light years. I mean, no devotional book ever written even approaches the numbers of uh, copies sold that Jesus Calling does. I mean, it, Jesus Calling is literally in a class of its own. And uh, anytime I show, I put this slide up and when I'm doing a seminar at a church, and and granted, it's it's the doctrinally sound churches that have me come. It's not the happy, clappy churches that have me come. But anytime I put that slide up, I, I kind of look out intentionally at the audience, and I, and I see ladies go like this. They're just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got that. <laughs> Yep. So, um, yeah, now this is an excerpt out of Jesus Calling, copied and pasted 
No edits on my part. Sarah Young says, During that same year in 92, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book by two anonymous listeners. These women practice waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and papers in hand, recording the messages they receive from him. So God Calling is a, a book, and, and uh, I've got a copy of it. It's written back in the 1930s by two anonymous female mystics. And these, we don't know their names, hence being anonymous, but uh, they, they tuned in supposedly to the exact frequency that God speaks on. And when they finally figured out that frequency, God started calling them and they began to write down what he said. And that's their book, God Inspiration for G- um, Sarah Young to write Jesus Calling. Um, so she's writing, or they were writing, if it was God, it was the canon of scripture. That's right. right. Same same thing. Yep, that's right. If God was really calling them and they were writing down, in fact, she says... Um, you know, these next two points you have here, she says, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. We were talking about that a few minutes ago. Yeah. How the Bible is not enough for people. They've got to have something more. Um, same here. And then she says, I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. So just like the ladies who wrote God Calling, Sarah Young tuned in to just the right frequency. And when she hit just that right frequency, Jesus started calling her giving her messages, and with pen in hand, she wrote down what he said. And again, if that is what is happening, she is writing scripture. I think what breaks my heart about this, brother, is I know maybe hundreds of professing believers who would say that they were saved by listening to this or that they were uh, sanctified they experience a greater walk by hearing this woman um, write, I'm just going to say it, write Satan's Bible. Yeah. Um, I can't say it any other way because this is not God's, it's not Jesus, it's not God talking to Sarah Young. If she's hearing something, she's hearing just as much as the lady that wrote the, the Twilight series who was in a trance and wrote, uh, she admitted she was in a trance and was writing what this demon was having her write for this Twilight series. No difference between that and Jesus call, coming down and walking along and sitting with Sarah Young and telling her what to write down and you having it in your home and in your church. That's not from God, it's from Satan. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly, and and all of these devotionals. There's 365 of them in the book. All of them are written in the first person for Jesus. I Jesus will do such and such. I am this. I am that. They're all written in the first person for Christ. So, um, this is this is different. This is actually, if you take it, what she says at face value, it's something called automatic writing. Yeah. And this is when a spirit takes you over and makes you write whatever the spirit wants you to write. Yep. Yeah. That's, um, um, dictation theory. Uh, and cause people say in the, in the, um, uh, what is it? The second, third century, they tried to, they tried to announce a dictation theory that said that the, the, uh, 
scriptures were were forced upon people that they were automatically writing. They were just dictated to, and and that um, it's clearly not what we see in scripture. But um, you know, as the Bible says, holy men of God were inspired, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, to write down everything that God wanted in their language and everything else. It wasn't this trance-like state and everything else that we see in this um, heretical work that I want to encourage. If you're a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, burn this thing, get it out of your house. Don't yep. let your kids read it. Get it out. You know, have some discernment. Yep. Get it out. Yeah. Yeah. Burn it. Use it for kindling. Use it for target practice. Sight your deer rifle in for hunting season. Amen. It's really good for that. Amen. I, I don't disagree with you one bit. You know, and, and that's the thing, kind of getting back to the Beth Moore, mm-hmm. you know, you've got here, I've I've done the videos, many videos on Beth Moore, and what you have on here is some of the stuff that I have. She was actually at a, uh, I believe it was an airport or a train station, I believe it was an airport, where where a homeless person came in, and she brags about God told her to brush this man's hair. Yeah, he he wasn't homeless. He was an old, old man in a wheelchair. But yeah. I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. God told her to brush his hair. It's one of the more bizarre stories. Uh, it's on YouTube. I mean, uh, people have lampooned it. And but yeah, God told her to go up to a, an elderly man in a wheelchair and brush his hair. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's so dangerous. To, I mean, I, and I want everybody to hear this and, and realize what's being said. If Beth Moore and all these others are on such a level that God is specifically telling them these things, Louis Giglio, John Piper, whoever, mm-hmm. if they're on this level that God is telling them things, what happens when you are not hearing and getting that special revelation every second of the day yep. like them? That's right. Guys, this causes depression. It causes people to literally kill themselves. It yeah. causes people to walk away from Christianity saying, well, I'm not a Christian anyway. It causes people to walk away. This is the reason people are looking for anything outside of, of premillennial, mm-hmm. tribulational, dispensational theology because they're saying, oh, it's failed. It's failed. It's failed. No, this is the proof that in the last days, false teachers will come. There will be many that will come. And because people have itching ears, what are they going to do? They're going to heap to themselves all these false teachers. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I wanna, I'm going to go ahead and pull that up, brother, if you don't mind. Okay. What God began to say to me about five years ago, and I'm telling you, it sent me on such a trek with him that my head is still whirling over it. He began to say to me, I'm going to tell you something right now, Beth. Boy, you write this one down. And you say it as often as I give you utterance to say it. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. I'm not paralyzed, brother. I'm not either. Yeah, I'm not either. Now, I'm not not post-millennial. You know, and a a lot of times us uh, pre-millennials, we get accused of being, you know, Debbie Downers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just kind of throw your hands up and give up. But uh, I believe 
I believe what Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail and uh, God's word does not return void. Uh, so I, I had no idea the bride of Christ, the church is paralyzed by unbelief. That's new information for me. Yeah. The Bible well, doesn't say anything about it. Well, but think about it though. God told her to, to let you know. Yeah. And to because write it down. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so now thanks to Beth Moore and this secret relationship she has with God, we've, we've been, we've been, uh, allowed in on this little uh, unknown heretofore unknown fact that yeah. the bride of Christ is paralyzed by unbelief. You know, what's amazing to me is I look forward to the victory of Christ. Amen. I, I, I'm okay with whatever God sends my way. Yep. I'm okay. I'm okay with persecution, tribulation trials. I'm okay with all of it. Cause I know what my future is. That's right. You know, I hear people say that, and I love my brother's, I hear people say, well, I just believe the gospel wins. That's a straw man. I do too. Yeah, I, do I believe too. God is going to save every single one. We just read in John, he's not going to lose one single one of his elect. That's right. I've, I've got no worries about that. I know that this message is going to go out and God's going to work in it to glorify himself. Beth Moore is a liar. And the, the bride of Christ doesn't fail we don't win this battle here. God does. That's right. Right. Yeah. Our, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's a, against the spiritual forces and in, in heavenly places and dark places. Yep. You know, we, we don't, we don't wage worldly war, but our God will. That's right. That's you know, right. And, and he's going to win and we're going to get to sit and watch it happen. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. I <laughs> get the popcorn out, bro. Oh, uh, I can't believe yeah. she actually said this. Oh, I know. So when godly people do ungodly things, ironic, I am being as honest as I know how to be when I say that I did not write these pages by simple preference. I wrote them because had I not, the rocks in my yard would have cried out. What God does with what he has promised is his business. I entrust the message Entirely to the one who delivered it while I sat bug-eyed. That's blasphemy. Yes. That is blasphemy. That would be the definition of blasphemy right there. Yeah. Yeah, because Jesus Christ himself is the one that said the rocks will cry out if these if these be silent. Speaking of his triumphal entry into the into the uh, the temple and into the city of Jerusalem. And um, he was being told to be silent. And he rebuked everyone and said that these rocks, he was speaking of judgment. He was actually speaking judgment upon Jerusalem, upon the temple. He says, these rocks are, uh, um, uh, these rocks will cry out if these people were silent. I, brother, I, you got it. <laughs> I mean, that is just, that is absolutely stunning right there. Absolutely stunning. And, uh, and then that other highlighted part, um, she says that she entrusts this message entirely to the one who delivered it while I sat bug eyed. So she was just this passive recipient, you know, just sitting back and just bug eyed. Like, I can't believe what God is downloading to me right now. And so it's this, again, it's just like this automatic writing. 
God, God is downloading this information to her. Hello, Gnosticism. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. it's unbelievable. Well, now this is, but this is only in the uh, charismatic Baptist or the charismatic, um, uh, what do you call it? The charismatic non-denominational now since she left the Baptist denomination. This would only be in those circles, right? I mean, you wouldn't have it in something like Matt Chandler or something, would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Speaking oh. of. Speaking of, I, I said that on so purpose. Let's talk about what prophecy, I know you is and prophecy isn't. Um, the thus saith the Lord, look right at me. Oops, sorry about that. Is over. Look at me. When this text is talking about prophecy, it's not talking about the way Jeremiah prophesied or Isaiah prophesied. Or, no, no, that, that's closed. That's canonized. So you will never prophesy in a way that's on par, equal to, anywhere near the inerrant, infallible word of God. That's closed, shut. And so the best you've got, the best you've got is the humility to say, I think the Lord would have me lay this before you. Really? Yeah, so there, there's two big errors here. Uh, he says that that this is not when when God when we prophesy, it's not like Isaiah, it's not like Jeremiah. That's closed. That's in, to copy. That's canonized. <laughs> you know, that goes back to what we were saying earlier. God yeah. cannot speak less authoritatively on one occasion than He does on another. If God is speaking, God is speaking. And so that is a bogus argument, bogus argument. And and then he says we should we should have the humility to say, well, I think this is what the Lord is laying before me. I'm trying to figure out when the, any of the prophet uh, the prophets or apostles ever said, I, you know, I just really think God's given me this impression that you know, I, I just really think this that God's, you know, I could be wrong. Yep. What is it? I mean. If I'm not mistaken, what I'm hearing is a gr- a bunch of people that that desperately want to lead people into their financial coffers <clears throat> that are trying to tell people that it's okay for you to be a false prophet as long as you don't try to claim the mantle of a prophet. You can just say, I believe God's telling me this. I have a vision from God. I have a word from God, word of knowledge or whatever. And they're trying to incorporate that into Christianity to muddy the water. I, I don't see anything else besides that. Yep. That's exactly right, brother. That's exactly right. Nowhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament, will you find anyone saying anything like, I really feel like the Lord is trying to tell us such and such. I really believe the Lord's trying to tell us, said nobody in the Bible ever. And, and you know, uh, Andrew said this, and I, I, you may have said it first, but I'm not sure. But Andrew said, um, I cannot exegete yeah. your dreams, your thoughts, the things that you think Jesus or God is telling you. Yep. I, I can look at the scripture and say, I understand what thus saith the Lord. This is the standard. This is the absolute standard of, of all truth. If it's not enough, then you have to look for an outside standard and you've made your own subjective reasoning the standard. Are you 100% positive that what you think you heard from God 
is from God, because as far as I can tell, none of the prophets and apostles ever heard Jesus or God speak to them in their own minds. It was outside of them, as you talked about. That still small voice was outside of them. It wasn't in their mind, and they were going, oh, I think God was speaking to me. Samuel, you think, and he's a little boy. He's laying there and he keeps saying, he keeps running up saying, um, uh, you know, did you call for me? Did you call for me? Did you call for me? Yep. And how many times was it? Four times. And then finally, you know, it's it hits them. Hey, this might be God. So the next time you hear this, you say, here I am. And it was from God, but it was outside of them. It wasn't in them. Right. It was an external audible voice. That's right. That's right. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah, to Ezekiel. Yeah. Nowhere, not even in, even in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit spoke, he spoke with crystal clear clarity. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Yeah. So it's outside and, of oneself. It's not, you know... Uh, guys, I, I yeah. really think God Jesus is telling me something. Yeah. No. I, I tell people this. If you have to wonder whether or not God spoke to you, he didn't. Yeah. If you have any question, well, I, you know, I heard this voice in my head, this this thought in my head, and I, I don't I don't know if that was me or if that was God. If you have to wonder that, he didn't. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm going to say this just so that we can make sure it's clear. Peter said that the things that he experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration, that he actually experienced it. Yeah. You know, he said, look, I'm giving you my word that I actually experienced it. Yep. Yep. Okay. We don't go by experiences. Peter actually said, but we have a more sure word. Yep. So what he was saying was, I'm not giving you revelational truth. I'm telling you what I experienced but we have a more sure word written down the canon of scripture. That's right. And I want to make sure it's clear because so many times we hear people say, but I experienced it. Well, I've had all kinds of experiences that I can't right. define, explain. Yep. That's right? Right. If it doesn't meet the canon of scripture, I'm going to walk away from it saying, um, I trust the word of God more than I trust my own heart or my, right. own, my own thinking you know, my mind is deceitful and above all things, desperately wicked, saved by the grace of God as I am. I'm still in a physical form, as Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Yeah. I don't trust myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so okay. I got, I got uh, Sam on here. If you want to do this one again, or if you want to go to anything else, whatever you want to do. Uh, I can't remember. What's, what does he say here? Uh, this is one. Uh, oh, yeah. He says uh, dramatic pronouncements aren't helpful. Avoid saying things like thus saith the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord for your life. They aren't helpful. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They were helpful for Isaiah, Isaiah Jeremiah, and those guys. Yeah. Uh, we have found that it is better to introduce prophetic utterance with statements such as, I have a strong inner impression that I believe is from the Lord. I had a sense from the Holy Spirit. I had a dream which involved several of you. So why is that better? That's not better. That's not biblical language. 
I know why it's better. In her impression, I sensed. No, no. I know why it's better. Because Justin Peters can't call me a false prophet according to the scripture. <laughs> because I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm saying yeah. I. Yep. I feel like, you know, I think. Yeah. Yep. 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 I feel like the Lord said to me. That's exactly right. Yep. And then, then, then we have these examples that I just, uh, just. Yeah, you laid those out. Here, here's a point I would like to make. I know we're kind of running low on time here, Justin, but here's riddle me this Batman. If, if hearing from the Lord is such a vitally important part of the Christian life, as all these people that we've been looking at tonight have said, if it's so very important that we get this right, then why is it that there is absolutely no instruction, Old or New Testament, on how to do it? Amen. Have you ever wondered that? Like, Amen. okay, let's let's just do the New Testament since we're in the New Covenant. In the four Gospels, we have the life ministry teaching of Jesus, right? All of his teaching, his miracles, crucifixion, resurrection. In the book of Acts, we have the birth and the spread of the church. Um, then we get into Romans and the first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and we get to the pastoral epistles and all these things. And what do we have there? Well, we've got loads of instructions on doctrine on theology, on ecclesiology, how to organize a church, on qualifications for elders and deacons, on how to resolve conflict. We've got lots of instructions on that, on teaching sound doctrine, refuting those who contradict, how to tell a false prophet, how to tell a false teacher. Uh, you've got eschatology, of course, the whole book of Revelation, and then you've got it sprinkled throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. You've got all of these instructions on all of these different things. If hearing from God is so important, what I'm asking you to do is why sorry. is there that's all right. Why is there absolutely zero instruction, any guidelines in the Bible on how to do it? Why why did God leave us hanging on something that is apparent that supposedly so important? Yeah. I, I want to hear somebody answer that question. One thing I want to I want to do, and I'm going to back it up here in just a second. Uh, we are getting low on time, but I do want to I want to pull the screen down here a little bit because I want to talk about uh, just a couple of people real fast. Because I want you to you know maybe the last you know ten minutes we may go just a minute or two over, if that's okay. Um, I, I want to talk about Bill Johnson. I want to look out and talk about um, Matt Chandler. Um, he, he's went down this, this road. That's not good, but you know, what about Bill Johnson and what about, you know, uh, Bethel music and what about, um, uh, elevation church? Uh, what about the, um, you know, Matt Maurer and these guys that are so prevalent in our churches and our music? Um, I'd like for you to, you know, touch on this real quick, if you could, um, because I think this is important that we need to let you speak on this, um, about. Yeah. So, so the music there's on the right there, you see, uh, Lou Engel, Bill Johnson, Benny Hinn, and, uh, then that's, um, Michael Culianos there. Uh, so Bethel music, Hillsong music, that's 
almost every evangelical church sings that stuff. Yeah. Well, Bethel is a cult. Bill Johnson, he's the pastor of Bethel Church. Bethel is a cult. Uh, they are they are very aberrant. They are very heretical. They manufacture fake signs and wonders. You can look at videos of Bethel services, and they've got fire tunnels and people jerking and twitching and shaking like they're they're in the throes of an epileptic seizure. Uh, you've got their Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which which is the most bizarre, outlandish, and utterly impotent school that there is. They train their students how to raise the dead and heal the sick and all this kind of stuff with the 100% failure rate, by the way. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a cult. And so when you sing Bethel music or you sing Hillsong music, Hillsong is the same way. Hillsong out in Australia, you know, they have satellite churches all over the world, but the main one, the mothership, if you will, is in um, Sydney, Australia, pastored by Brian Houston. Yeah. Bill Johnson and Brian Houston cross pollinate with one another. They speak at each other's conferences, so there's there's simpatico. Um, these are cults, and so when you sing Bethel music and Hillsong songs, uh, you need to know that you're singing music straight out of a cult. And people say, "Oh, no, wait a minute. Um, the, the lyrics are okay." And you know what? Granted, some of their songs have lyrics that are okay. Not all of them are okay. Some of their songs are Looney Tunes, romantic Jesus kind of Jesus is my boyfriend type stuff. But some of the lyrics are okay. So it must be all right to sing them, right? No, it's not for two main reasons. Number one, they use their music as one of their primary ways to expand their tent. And um, they, they use it as a hook to pull you into their theological system. When the unsuspecting person is sitting out on a pew on Sunday morning and they're looking up at the screen and uh, the lyrics are on the screen, they're singing the song. And then you look down in the fine print and it says music by Bethel or Bethel music or music by Hillsong. And the unsuspecting person seeing that like, oh, Bethel, Hillsong. Well, they must be okay. We're singing their music after all. I think I'm going to check them out. And that's that's the way this gig works. That's why they do what they do. That's one thing. That's one reason you shouldn't sing this music, because you're exposing your sheep to wolves. Amen. Amen. Shepherding 101. <laughs> Protect your sheep from the wolves. Yeah. Um, and then number two, if a church is doing what they're supposed to be doing, then every time they sing a Bethel music or a Hillsong song, then they are sending money in to these respective churches. If they're following the uh, CCLI regulations, codes, yeah, then every time you sing a Bethel song or Hillsong song, you're sending in music, excuse me, sending in money to a cult. You're sending in money to a cult. Now, uh, I've given this illustration before, and a lot of people really got angry at me for doing it, but I stand by it. Let's just illustrate absurdity by being absurd for a second. Let's suppose Planned Parenthood had a board meeting, and they say, you know, we really need to bring in some more, more money, even though, thanks to Joe Biden, we're awash in money right now. But let's just say, I know how we can bring in more money. Let's write some Christian music. 
and let's make sure the lyrics pass a basic doctrinal smell test so the Christians will sing it in their churches. And so they write some Christian music. And you know what? It's good music. It's got good lyrics. And so we'll send this out to the churches. And every time they sing one of our songs, yeah, we're going to get some money from them. Now, I ask you this, Mr. or Mrs. Christian sitting in your church pew. If you knew that your church was sending money to Planned Parenthood, would you sing that music even though the lyrics were okay? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. I would submit to you that as, as horrible as that would be, sending money to Planned Parenthood from a church, I would submit to you that sending money to a cult is worse than that. Because Planned Parenthood, they're lost. Lost people do what lost people do. They murder babies. Now, I believe those babies are going to heaven, but that's another discussion. But they murder babies. What's worse than murdering a baby? Well, if there is anything worse, it would be this. Preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, and leading millions of people down the primrose path to hell. Amen. That's what's worse. Yeah. You know, the last day's language of the Holy Spirit is dreams. That's right. But we said, well, it was just a dream. What do you mean, just a dream? Who knows what angels had to fight through to break into your world? To give you their thoughts and you just say it's just a dream. I think the church needs to stop saying it's just a dream. That's a sweet spot. Yeah. You know, the last day's language of the Holy Spirit is dreams. One thing I want to point out is uh, there was a sermon uh, sermon series I did uh, going through and talking about um, Bethel and Hillsong and um, um, all, the, all the different groups that are involved with this and um, actually was talking about Jesus culture for the most part. That is the, that is the religious um, gospel arm of Bethel Music and, and Bill Johnson they actually uh, were at the Passion Conference. They've actually been to these different conferences, and they are probably sung in your youth groups and whatnot. They came to Christ by mantra prayers and chants, where they just sat there and said, Jesus, 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 until the, the Spirit came upon them, and they were anointed to, to sing and praise and, and whatnot. Guys, that's not biblical. That's yeah. not that's not from the scripture, um, right. you know, Justin. If we could just one last thing, I'd you know, read Hebrews one one through two. This is what the scripture says: God, after He had spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In other words, He spoke all types of different ways and different types of styles. Um, he even had He even had people in the Proverbs. Go, going to the ants to figure out how they were to functioning and seeing how God ordered and, and, and structured creation. 
So there was all types of different ways. Burning bushes, you know, axe heads floating, the finger of God coming down and, and riding upon stone. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. This is talking about Christ Jesus. Is he not sufficient enough for you, for me, and for the body of Christ? That's right. You know, right. we're, we're a couple minutes past uh, a two-hour mark. And uh, Justin, I'm going to tell you, I, I think we go for two more hours. And we could talk and talk and talk about these things. Um, but I want to warn everybody. There are so many people that are going to try to pull you away from the sufficiency of Scripture and pull you down. You just said it, this primrose path into experientialism. They're going to try to pull your church out of the word of God because once the church compromises the word of God, it will go back to the mother of harlots. Yep. That's what these people are. They're harlots. They're, they're not true. Yep. And they come out of that mother of harlots, as Roman, as Revelation tells us. We have to be men and women of discernment that refuse to accept and allow our churches, ourselves, to be caught up in this last day's hypocrisy. Yep. You know, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely, brother. Brother, I, I really thank you so much. I thank you for, you know, just our friendship. And, same, same. And, and just for the, the, the great ministry that God's given you to teach, because it's, it's been such a blessing. Um, and, and I hope that this message will reach the hearts of um, of so many professing Christians, you know, in my community and around the world, that pastors will repent of bringing in this false heresy. Yeah. And leading their congregations into this false teaching, that the radio stations will repent of having Matt Maurer, who is a Roman Catholic priest yeah. who is preaching to your people about the Christ of Roman Catholicism and Mariolatry and all of those things. That's right. Yeah. Rome. I, I hope and I pray that our, our true believers, the, the true Christians out there will stand up and proclaim that there's only one way. And that's through the word of God, through the God of the word. And um, I hope you've been edified. Um, I hope you've been blessed. Justin, um, you are always a blessing to me. And my heart is is just so filled with thanks that uh, you and I are friends and that um, you've you come on here. You know, I just love having you on. Uh, guys, go to justinpeters.org and help support him. Uh, help this, this dear brother. Uh, COVID kind of slowed things down and hurt them pretty bad. Um wanna wanna close out by um by putting out this promo from the My Pillow just because um the Strong Fraternity guys they um they are in uh financial um uh, straits because of COVID and we'd ask you to to go to one eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six in the promo code SFE and you can get um, the my pillows from Mike Lindell, 
and uh, uh, get those for your, your your pretty little head and and lay down and rest. I think they've got slippers and all kinds of stuff, and you can get any of those. Um, uh, if you want to give us a review, please do so. Apologetics Live. Uh, it's lovethepodcast.com backslash apologetics live. Uh, please, please do that and, uh, and, and leave us a good review. Um, and um, we'd also ask for your support at strivingforeternity.org backslash support. And, um, you know, go on, go on the podcast and go elsewhere. Go, go to Facebook. If you've appreciated what we've done and let people know this message needs to go out. And we believe that if you'll send this message out, to five or six of your friends, you know, just individually tag them and send this out to them through your social media that, that this will help the people of God to be discerning. And that's what Justin's ministry is all about. That's what our ministry is about. Um, we want to help people discern the truth from the error and to be able to stand and give a reasonable defense for the hope that lies within them. So I hope you've had a wonderful night uh, that we've done a good job for you and that God is glorified in everything that's been going on. And uh, we, we hope you have a wonderful uh, evening and week. And uh, we'll see you later. God bless. Good night. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.